Miss the show, no problem. Coming up on point and on the podcast. Three planes have landed at Pearson Airport. That is all. And so far, none of those on board are said to be the Afghan interpreters facing death. Reports on the ground suggest that these people are buried in red tape and impossible challenges of having to get passports and COVID tests that they can't get access to. Michael Spavor, sentenced by China, and Robert Schellenberg has been sentenced to death. China turning up the heat and playing a dangerous game, escalating its hostage diplomacy, and they're willing to kill Canadians to get what it wants. And what kind of suffering would both Michaels be going through right now? We'll talk to somebody, a Canadian man who was jailed in China for two years, accused of espionage, and totally understands the torture. He was freed, and he can share his story. Let's get talking. Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man of wealth and taste. I've been around for a long, long year. Stole many a man's soul and faith. This is On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. The denial of Robert Schellenberg's appeals must be seen for what it is. A foreign government planning to take the life of a Canadian for political reasons. The use of the death penalty is abhorrent, but to impose it for political reasons is inexcusable. We will be watching tonight's verdict, and we won't be alone. The Chinese Communist Party needs to know that the world is watching. The world may be watching. Prime Minister's not, because, hey, he's got an election to call. Alex Pearson with you on this Tuesday, August 10th, and it has been one of those nutty news days where you got nonstop breaking uh, stories, and I can barely cover them all. And, of course, there's a bit of a theme, justice kind of injustice. And if you're an alleged victim of Creepy Cuomo, then maybe you feel like you got justice today as New York's governor relents to pressure and steps aside over these allegations made by 11 women. I got to say, it was a pretty, I found it to be a very bizarre press conference because Cuomo pretty much said, you know, I'm an old Italian guy. Uh, This is what we did. You know, they thought kissing and grabbing women is just how it was done. Now he knows better because times have changed. He should have actually just said he experienced things differently and he'd be gold, right? I mean, that worked for Trudeau. God knows how, but it did. But this is a guy who's uh, expected to take a presidential run, which, again, if we go by history, he should still be okay for that, too. So uh, we're going to talk about that because it is a big story. But certainly the big story here in this country is the injustice of what's happening to three Canadian men who are now bargaining chips for China. And we're expecting to learn Michael Spavor's sentence in the next five hours, four hours, probably by about 10 o'clock. And whatever that sentence is, it will not be good because China is ruthless. They do not follow rules. So Spaver is looking at either life in prison or a death sentence for a crime he did not commit. And then whatever happens to Spaver, you can be sure it's a precursor for what will happen to Michael Kovrig, who is, I guess, set to be sentenced at a later date. And the injustice here, and there are countless, is that these men have become nothing more than pawns for China. They're being used as weapons so that China can pressure Canada to release Huawei CEO Meng Wanzhou. If you ask me, her bail conditions should be revoked immediately. 
I mean, neither of these men have done anything wrong. China ginned up these spy charges and then convicted them in a kangaroo court void of any process and transparency. And the timing of this sentence is absolutely no coincidence. Because Spaver's sentence will be used to send a message to the Trudeau government that if China does not get what, it's wa- what it wants, then these men will pay the price. Because there's also the case of Robert Schellenberg. And he is also now being used as a pawn for China, albeit his case is a bit different to the Michaels, because he was jailed back in 2014 on accusations that he tried to smuggle 500 pounds of meth from China to Australia. And he argued he was framed, and because there's no such thing as presumption of innocence in China, Schellenberg's case never stood a chance. And so now his appeal of a death sentence has been upheld by China, and he may lose his life because China feels absolutely justified killing a Canadian so that it can send a message to this country. And what's the Trudeau government's response? Wait for it. Oh, yes. A strongly worded condemnation. A strongly worded condemnation. To which I'm sure China is just shivering in fear. I mean, the the reality is China knows it's got all the power. It knows Canada is not going to do anything because we have not done anything. There's no punishment for kidnapping the Michaels, no punishment for going after our canola farmers. Hell, Trudeau can't even bring himself to condemn what China's doing to one million Uyghur Muslims. I mean, Trudeau's not just weak on China. He has always been very naive to the danger posed by this sluggish regime. And he said it himself, that he admires it. There's a level of, of uh, admiration I actually have for China. Um, because they're... You know, basic dictatorship is allowing them uh, to actually turn their economy around on a dime and say, we need to go green as fast as we need to start, you know, investing in solar. I mean, there is a flexibility that I know Stephen Harper must dream about of having a dictatorship that he could do everything he wanted. Uh, that I find quite interesting. <laughs> Except for Stephen Harper isn't stupid enough to say he admires a dictatorship, right? I mean, that was January 2014, and that was not some gaffe as was reported. Trudeau knew that question was coming because questions were selected ahead of time at ladies' night. And for whatever reason, Trudeau decided in front of this group of fawning women that it would be appropriate to heap praise on an enemy. I mean, not just a stunningly stupid remark, but a very reckless and naive remark. And now his praise, which he's just very proud of himself in that clip, serves as propaganda for this thuggish regime. But, you know, when you look at China and the response from this particular government, they have always been on the wrong side of this issue. There's a reason Justin Trudeau skipped the foreign affairs debate in the last election. He cannot defend his record. That is why he didn't show up. That was why there was no talk of foreign affairs. And in this election coming up, there better be a segment on foreign affairs because this is a big issue. Because his strategy of appeasement hasn't just failed. It's put our country's national security at risk. And, you know, you'd think Trudeau would change his approach given he would have nothing but support from Canadians. Polling has consistently revealed over the last few years that a huge majority of Canadians, we're talking 87%, no longer trust or want to do business with China. This is not about the Chinese people. This is about the government of China. Canadians don't want Huawei approved. That decision has yet to be made. 
Canadians want this government to get tougher with this regime. And so what are they? They issue a strongly worded condemnation. And so this, this could, and I think should rightly create an issue for Trudeau. Because this escalation and aggression by China comes days before this election call, which is apparently on Friday. And his main opponent, Aaron O'Toole, has made very crystal clear that he has no admiration for this dictatorship and that he will change how we do business with China, that he'll punish China with Magnitsky sanctions. And today, O'Toole stated, you know, there is no reason why we should even be sending athletes to the 2022 Beijing Games. Yes, Canada should be considering a boycott. And I've said we're going to be watching the decisions very closely. Beijing has to know that the world is watching the genocide taking place against the Uyghurs. They've watched what's been happening in Hong Kong and the situation with Mr. Schellenberg, Mr. Spaver, and Mr. Kovrig. The world is watching. And we're proud of our athletes. We're celebrating. But we also have to recognize the, the actions of, of a country that wants to host a games to bring people together. And we'll, we'll have to think long and hard on whether we reward a country like that with the games. Not really. Polling shows Canadians actually agree with O'Toole's position on this issue as well. Polling came out just the other day. This is not about punishing our athletes. It is absolutely about standing up to thugs who should be punished and not rewarded, let alone admired. It is about standing on the right side of history and standing not just with the Michaels, but their families who have been suffering this hell for almost a thousand days. And I think we should start seeing this issue as standing up for the future of this country and protecting a democracy. China is infiltrating, undermining, and is a complete threat. And so, again, we will be watching. We will see what happens with Michael Spavor. I don't think it's going to come as any surprise if it's a death sentence or life imprisonment. And I think we should brace ourselves for that. But make no mistake, it's a, a very dangerous turn by this escalating threat. And what power we have is beyond me. Because Dominic Barton was sent in to clean up the mess of John McCallum, and he's not been able to do anything. But I want to talk about a story that we can't let go out of the headlines. It involves these Afghan interpreters and their families trying to get out of Afghanistan. And time is running out. That, that is just it. Time is running out. And so far, just three airplanes as of late Monday landed at Pearson Airport. And to our knowledge, no Afghan interpreters are among those on board. And we're told that dozens of these interpreters who are scheduled to be on these planes are finding themselves caught up in red tape and they're being stopped from boarding the plane. I mean, it's not bad enough that the Taliban is inching closer to killing them, but it seems that the Trudeau government's caught in a bureaucratic mess and these people are now being forced to go out and get negative COVID tests before they get on the plane. And they're also being told that they have to get their passports within 48 hours. And that's not even something we can do here in the advanced world. Have you ever gotten your passport in 48 hours? I mean, it's a lot of work. And so this mission is a mess and it's on a bit of a hold um, with these Afghan interpreters being hidden in nearby secret spots, hoping to God that a phone rings and says you're on that plane. Corey Shelson is a retired captain in the Canadian Armed Forces, president of 44 North Digital Marketing, but he's also a member of this grassroots organization, Not Left Behind. And Corey, I appreciate you joining us. 
I know that you and your teammates are really running, uh, you know, around the clock on this kind of ignoring your day jobs to, to get this situation in control. So I, I appreciate you joining us. Thanks for having me, Alex. What's the situation right now? I mean, when I hear about passport issues and COVID tests, it sounds so ridiculous because you would think, why wouldn't the government have made a, a, a passport processing operation on site or given these people heads up on things like COVID tests? I mean, I don't think COVID tests are front and, and center for these people. Yeah, I mean, this is an evolving situation that's evolving very organically and in real time. Um, the, the security situation in the major cities is uh, deteriorating faster than our plan is improving. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, you know, I will say it, I, I definitely have concerns with the fact that the passport requirement and the COVID uh, PCR screening test requirement were not announced when the plan was announced. This, these are things that the government said they were taking weeks and weeks to plan that you would think that is a passport required to get out of the country would have been one of those first things you would have looked at, but that's behind us now. And mm-hmm. now what we know is you do need a passport. And what we know is you do need a COVID test. And these things are being imposed mm-hmm. externally from the Afghan government and through the uh, federal aviation authority on these people. And so now it's a matter of what can Canada control and what can't we control and the things that we can't control, we have to find ways to work around them. And the things that we can control, we need to do the best job we can to get as many people out as quickly as we can. The problem is we're not getting a lot of people out. There are thousands of these people, as you know, and their family members. We have a matter of weeks, maybe, The Taliban is a growing threat by the day. They know that Canada and the U.S. is trying to get these people out. So I'm sure that they're trying to get uh, to these places where these people would be. So time's not on our side. Um, And it doesn't sound like the mission is going to actually save the numbers that we need to get out. Yeah, like I said, it's it's a rapidly deteriorating situation. Over the course of uh, the last three or four days, six capital cities have fallen to the Taliban. Um, we're, we, we've seen multiple bomb attacks in the green zone, which is near where the Canadian embassy, where the Canadian embassy is in the green zone. Um, you know, number one, let's applaud the Canadian forces for what they're doing to bring people out. Like, we've got to recognize them. This is their mission to move people. It's not their problem that the bureaucracy is here in terms of the paperwork. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the government is working on the passport bottleneck. I truly believe that. Where we need help is funding. Yeah. So while all of this is taking place, while the government is trying to figure out the best way to get these people out, how to handle the applications, the screening, the passport requirement, COVID, that's a mess. There's a lot of people working on it, and I really hope they can crack this tough nut. But behind the scenes, there's a group of unnamed people that you may never hear about who mm-hmm. are working day and night to identify people who are at risk. We're finding how to get them out of harm's way by road or by air or by other means. We are finding places for them to to live. I mean, Mm -hmm. actually finding buildings and booking them and contracting them and putting up security and getting food and getting water. And we're caring for these people with contacts we have on the ground. We're helping them process their paperwork. We're helping them get to the airport and we're helping them get on this flight. And right now there's zero government support financially or re- from, from any resource perspective, there's no support coming from the government, which is, is, is a tough thing. Uh, and so what I'm asking for everybody who's listening is if you have the capacity financially to help, if, I, if it's okay, Alex, I'd love to yeah. give you a link. It's uh, 
Veterans Transition Network is the, is the organization that we're getting the donations through. It's V as in Victor, so VTNCanada.org, VTNCanada.org. And when you go there, there's a, in the top right-hand corner, there's a donate button. So far, we've raised just over $25,000, and we need probably closer to a million. And yeah. this money is going straight to people on the ground who are paying for flights, paying for accommodations, paying for security. And this is what's going to keep these people alive long enough to get through this paperwork exercise to protect them from the Taliban and get them on these flights. That's where I think the focus needs to be right now is keeping these people alive because the security situation is deteriorating really, really quickly. And these people need our help. Yeah, because I understand uh, from stories on the ground, you know, you've got these people who think that they're getting on the planes, so they risk their way to get to the airport. They survive that journey only to be told at the very last second, you can't get on the plane, you need X, Y, Z. And so these people then have to risk their lives to go out and try to find paperwork, documentation. And so you can only imagine what these people are going through. And then, of course, Corey, uh, all things are about the election. We're told Friday is the day the writ's going to drop. How concerned are you that the election then, you know, erases this issue? Because we don't have time to get these interpreters out for a 30-day election. Bottom line is they can't wait a month for our election. And so how concerned are you that this issue gets overshadowed by an election that really only serves the prime minister's ego? Obviously, I'm concerned, but I can tell you we're not going away. (laughs) Our efforts aren't stopping and we're going to keep pushing and I'm going to keep talking to you and I'm going to keep getting on every radio station and television station that will have me until we've got every last person out of that country that we can. And the government is going to be the government and they're going to do what they do and it's going to be for better or for worse. And I really hope that the government makes the right decisions and doesn't uh, brush this under the rug if the election if and when the election is called my focus is on what i can control what i can control is helping keep people safe and helping them to fill out their paperwork and get to the airport that's what we're focusing our efforts on it's got i gotta look at this glass half full please if you can help us we need funding we need your support vtncanada.org please if you can spare ten dollars a hundred dollars if you own a business or you're a wealthy individual and you can donate more we're seeing some uh, affluent individuals uh, getting prepared to make some very large donations uh, and donation receipts, my understanding, will be provided. So please, yeah. if there's any support, we can use that help. Yeah, it's unfortunate that Canadians uh, and Canadian vets are, are really the ones who have to kind of, you know, burden the, the real uh, efforts here. Because I think if you, you know, follow the Twitter feed of uh, Marco Mendocino or the prime minister and you listen to the see the images of these planes arriving, you would think that this mission is well underway and we're saving lots of people. But the reality is, as you well know, Corey, three planes with three, four dozen Afghans on uh, that's not that's not even a chip at at what we need to get here. No. And uh, every there needs to be a bum in every single uh, seat. Um, The idea that planes are arriving here in Canada that aren't at capacity. I mean, we should be stuffing people in the cargo bins. Like, I don't care what we need to do. Get as many people on those flights. It doesn't matter how comfortable people are. They just need to get out of harm's way. And I've said from the get-go, get them on a flight. Get them into a third-party location where we can do all of the proper paperwork. I'm not saying we should cut corners. We just need to sequence it differently so we can protect people and not have them unnecessarily driving around town to get passport photos and fingerprints and go to the printer and there's i'm even hearing of a black market starting up in some of these cities where people are charging these folks to fill out their paperwork 
these people don't even have any money. So it's a complete mess. We are focusing our efforts on what we control, helping these people, resourcing them, keeping them alive, keeping them safe until they can get on a plane. And I really just hope the Canadian government uh, streamlines this process. Uh, I hope the Canadian government can start working better with the people who are on the ground, who are making a difference, people that we're connected to. I don't see the type of communication on the ground that I think would be more uh, conducive to, to helping this. We need to start all working together. We're ready to do that. We have been the whole time. We are we're moving rapidly to help these folks. And I would just like to see the government bodies, uh, you know, chip in uh, yeah. better and, and work with our team better so we can save as many people as we can. Yeah, park the politics and forget the yeah. headlines and get these people out. Corey, we will continue to talk about this and we will continue to shed a light. So I appreciate you joining me because I know that you and your colleagues are extraordinarily busy. So thank you for your time. Thanks, Alex. And thank you, everybody, for your support. Thank you. That's Corey Shelson, retired captain in the Canadian Armed Forces, also with this grassroots group, Not Left Behind. And again, vtncanada.org. If you can ship in five bucks, 10 bucks, whatever, it will help. Canada uh, condemns this verdict uh, on all possible terms. And again, we call on China uh, to grant Robert Schellenberg clemency. Uh, We've expressed our firm opposition to this cruel and unusual punishment. uh, And we've expressed that and we will continue to express that to the the Chinese authorities. And we have a view on all of the death penalty cases we are against them uh, everywhere in the world. All righty. So we are still waiting news on the fate of Michael Spavor. He uh, is going to be sentenced. Uh, we understand that'll happen in the next hour or so. He's been convicted by China of espionage in what was nothing short of a kangaroo court. But this is a crime that a conviction qualifies for death or a life sentence. And our understanding is that Michael Kovrig will be sentenced at a later date. But this is a very strategic move by China so that they can hold the power over Canada. I mean, none of this this is a coincidence. And it's also no coincidence that Robert Schellenberg has also been denied all appeals and told he will face the death penalty. So the Chinese government, essentially, is prepared to kill a Canadian for political reasons. And we'll see what they do to the two Michaels. No questions about it. This is their kind of business. Marcus Kolka is a senior fellow at the uh, McDonald Laurier Institute, also founder of Disinfo Watch. Good to have you, Marcus. Thanks for having me on, Alex. A lot of moving parts to this. This is no question a uh, tactic that China is using so that it can get Meng Wanzhou uh, freed from the extradition to the United States. Um, you know, but let, let's start with Schellenberg. I mean, Schellenberg, who probably isn't as sympathetic a, a character as the Michaels because of the charges he faces, he was charged with trying to get a lot of drugs um, out, you know, out of that country. They don't take kindly to that. Um, he says he didn't do it, but again, his appeals have all been denied, and he's essentially been given this death sentence for political reasons. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, what what's happened is the Chinese regime has basically taken out a knife and put it to his throat, and uh, and has issued Canada an ultimatum: um, you know, give up Meng, or you know, we're going to do the worst that we can to uh, to uh, Schellenberg. Um, and and definitely, you know, his initial. A trial. He had a sentence of uh, 15 years for uh, apparently, you know, trying to traffic some 500 pounds mm-hmm. of methamphetamines. Um, 
what is um, a, a, a little bit of a coincidence with regards to his case is that in December 2018, when his uh, sentence was up for review, um, he, it was the sentence was increased from life in, or sorry, 15 years in prison to uh, to a death sentence. So yeah. clearly, he's um, he's also uh, a a pawn, perhaps a lesser pawn, but certainly a pawn. Uh, in this uh, in this horrendous game that the Chinese government is playing. Yeah, and it is a dangerous escalation because China is rolling out Spavor first. They'll sentence him. And, and I, I would suspect, um, Marcus, that this is a tactic that they will use to say, if you want to try your luck with us, here's what we're going to do in the hope that maybe, um, you know, they can do some kind of trade back and forth. But the, But Spavor, the fact that he's being sentenced first, what should we take from that? Well, uh, again, I mean, I think we, if, if you look at the, the two Michaels, um, you know, uh, I think Michael Kovrig being a, a former diplomat is certainly a hostage, so to speak, of perhaps uh, higher value or, or one that the Chinese regime sees as being of higher value. And so mm-hmm. they're going to try with uh, Michael Spaver first. Um, just like Schellenberg, I mean, they're going to issue an ultimatum. I mean, it's, it is um, completely within the uh, realm of possibilities that uh, they will sentence uh, Michael Spavor to death. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, that will put uh, serious pressure on the Canadian government. Number one, it looks like we're going into a, you know, a, an election within the next couple of days. Uh, the Hmong trial is, is going to be concluding in, I think it's August 20th. And mm-hmm. so um, the, the, the pressure is on here for, uh, you know, the hope for the Chinese government, at least, is that the government will simply... Uh, cave into these ultimatums um, and and release uh, Meng Wanzhou, um, and and perhaps things will come to to an end. Uh, the problem, of course, uh, with that, should the Canadian government acquiesce to the, these mafia-style uh, ultimatums, is that it puts not just other Canadians in China mm-hmm. and elsewhere, mm-hmm. puts every citizen of every Western state at risk because it tells. Uh, it sends a signal to the Chinese government that this sort of hostage diplomacy and these sorts of uh, mafia-style ultimatums work. Yeah, and and there's no question, I think, the Chinese government does see this government as weak. I mean, not only do they have the, the praise from Trudeau back in the days of that ladies' gathering where he, you know, said he admires a Chinese dictatorship. They've got that for their propaganda. Um, they have been seen very, I think, weak on these issues. I mean, Dominic Barton was sent over to become the Canadian ambassador to China to undo the mess of John McCallum. And it doesn't seem like Barton has been uh, able to do much. He's been caught off guard more than one time on this stuff. But, you know, we have tools. We've talked about them before. It's the Magnitsky sanctions we could use. Aaron O'Toole talked about boycotting Beijing. I don't even understand how Beijing is a thing, especially for this country at this point. And that's not a slight to the athletes, but I don't know how we in good conscience can support or or, or reward China for the behavior, including what they're doing to the Uyghur Muslims. Uh, And and so, again, they see us as weak. Um, You know, what, what can we do to help the, uh, the Michaels, let alone Mr. Shelberg. I mean, you bring up such an important point. I think that, it's, you know, since December 2018, uh, we've really sort of rolled over, and, and we were hoping that diplomacy would work, and, that, you know, that's, that's a reasonable expectation. As you said, we've, we've switched out um, ambassadors from the, from the train wreck that, that uh, Ambassador McCallum was, resp- McCallum was responsible for, and, and now Dominic Barton is trying to undo that. Um, but we really have not done a very good job of imposing any sort of meaningful consequences 
for the type of behavior that we're seeing China behave in, whether it's uh, the the uh, genocide that's happening in Xinjiang, uh, the the violent repression of pro democracy protests in Hong Kong, the um, you know the constant threats that uh, Taiwan poses, and of course yeah. what's yeah. happening with the two Michaels. Um, you know there are uh, there are a number of things that we can do. You know one of the things that we should be doing is reconsidering the terms of Ms. Meng's detention. Um, yeah. She's living in a in a in a in a multi million dollar <laughs> mansion uh, with an ankle bracelet. Is able to freely move around wherever she wants in the Vancouver GTA, and uh, and uh, is living a, a luxurious lifestyle. Um, I'm I think that perhaps we should reconsider that and uh, and put an end to it. Um, given the fact that you know Michael Spavor has been living under conditions in under twenty four hour twenty four hour lighting, um, which is basically a, a form of torture. Um, this is one of the things that we could do. We need to, you know, sanctions are a big thing. We should be immediately targeting the judges, the prosecutor, and the officials that are responsible for the detention of, of the two Michaels, uh, and certainly of, of Hussein Jalil. We shouldn't forget that Hussein Jalil is another yep. Canadian who's been rotting away in a, in a jail in Xinjiang uh, since 2006. Let's target those specific officials. There might be a response then. And we should start looking at, uh, you know, student visas. Uh, the, the higher uh, Chinese Communist Party officials, they all send their children to Canada to go to school. Yeah. Maybe we should yeah. put an end to that and bar that. So those are just a few things that we can do that are actually, it's low-hanging fruit, it's simple stuff, but we're not even able to do that. Um, but uh, with the... Well, we could have also stood with Hong Kong. We didn't say anything. We, we, we no. should be speaking up for Taiwan. Nothing said. I mean, all we got from the Trudeau government is an, a terse, we condemn you statement, which I'm sure China is just laughing at. I mean, who's to say, Marcus, this doesn't happen again? Because it has happened before. Well, and this is the problem. Without consequences, without costs, we cannot deter this sort of behavior. And the Chinese government is not, I mean, they're, they're more than happy, like you say, to hear us yeah. uh, stomp our feet and say that, you know, we won't, we won't stand for this sort of behavior. They're more than happy with that because that, will, that enables this sort of continued behavior. Um, and so, you know, we, we've seen the U.S., they've already started imposing sanctions on on Chinese officials responsible for the uh, genocide in Xinjiang, we've failed to do so. We failed to do so in a lot of cases, in fact, including, you know, in cases like Russia and Iran. Um, but China is one place where we need to start acting, um, and certainly in concert with our with our allies. Uh, but we're right now, we're Canada is in the, on the front lines. It is our citizens. We are failing our citizens. We are failing to yeah. protect them abroad. And this is something that we should be holding the government definitely to account for. Well, ultimately, we are putting our country at risk uh, long term because it's just a risk to our national security and, and we should be standing on the right side of history, which I think uh, polling, as you well know, has shown overwhelmingly for a long time now that Canadians are done with China and they want a different relationship. So why the prime minister has not changed his focus because uh, he'd have Canadian support is beyond me. But we will have to stay tuned. I've got to let you go on that, but we'll uh, wait for this breaking news. I appreciate your time, Marcus. Anytime, Alex. Marcus Kolga joining us. Uh, he's a senior fellow at McDonald Laurier Institute, also the founder of Disinfo Watch and an expert in all things Russia, China, and uh, in Asia. So we'll, we'll continue watching that. And uh, we are, you know, awaiting the word of sentencing for Michael Spaver. We expect that to come down around 10 o'clock. He faces life in prison or possibly death 
And, you know, you can only imagine what he and his family must be going through. You got to imagine what Michael Kovrig and his family are going through. He's going to be sentenced at a later date. These are two men that were kidnapped and then convicted on trumped-up charges by a government that is using them as a weapon in a political war. And it's not the first time China has done this, but they have certainly escalated their tactics. And my next guest has an idea of what these men have gone through. Kevin Garrett and his wife, Julia, were jailed in China for two years. They lived in China for 30 years, doing things like teaching, entrepreneurial work, Christian aid work, only to find themselves arrested and accused of spying and resulting in a legal nightmare for two years, which would lead finally to their release. Kevin Garrett joins me now. You were detained in China for two years. You co-authored the book, Two Tears on the Window, and I thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Very happy to join you. Thank you, Alex. You and your wife uh, were also accused and jailed of being spies. And then throughout your, your, car, your um, incarnation, you were separated for a time. Julia eventually got to go home to house arrest, but you stayed in jail for two full years, yes. guilty of espionage, sentenced to eight years in jail. But then two days later, you somehow find your way on a plane on your way out of that country to Tokyo. You have a very good idea of what these men are going through. What would yeah, Michael Spavor be going through? Very, very good idea what they're going through. First of all, they're not knowing. Uh, they yeah. might not even be told that they're going for a verdict hearing. Um, when I was told to go to my verdict hearing, which is what uh, Michael Spavor is waiting for, I had uh, 15 minutes notice. I, I had no Jeez. idea it was coming. Um, and I, it would just it surprised me because usually they're supposed to give you three days notice. That's the legal mm-hmm. thing. But what I'd seen in the prison when I'd bear in there is that there was no notice, judicial procedures weren't really followed, and it just is at the political whim of whatever they want to do. And so we know here in Canada, we learned last night that Michael Spavor um, and Mr. Schellenberg were going to be uh, sentenced today. Um, would Michael Spavor have been told before us, or would he have been told the same like you 15 minutes before? And would Michael Kovrig have any idea what's going on with Michael Spavor? It's hard to say because the, the government knew before me like the Canadian embassy was right. told that they were able to make it to the uh, the hearing, which surprised me also because I was given no notice. They were given maybe a day or two's notice, so he may or may they may or may not know. The same would be for Robert Schellenberg. You probably have very little notice. I, it's hard to imagine. I, I mean, I look at your situation. I've read about your situation. I've had you on before to talk about your situation for mm-hmm. two years, living your life completely in. Um, a known known. You're completely isolated and shut off from the world. You didn't even know what was going on with your wife. These two men, these two Michaels, have almost been in captivity now for 1,000 days. September 4th will mark 1,000 days since they have been kidnapped and held by China. Um, and it's hard to think, Kevin, that their situation is going to get any better because the situation with China has deteriorated even greater since you and Julia uh, got out. Yes. That's true. And the case of the, the two Michaels and also Robert Schellenberg will follow what happens with Meng Wanzhou because it's, it's all political. Yeah. It's not that there were any charges, real charges. I mean, for me, it was all trumped up charges. There was nothing that, you know, a little slap on the wrist would say, hey, you shouldn't have done that. You know, there was nothing, mm-hmm. there was no spying, there's nothing like that, which was what they accused me of. And they had, it took them six months of interrogation in isolation to fabricate some things to, oh, look what you did here. And I said, what do you mean? I took some pictures of from tourist sites. 
you know, things like that. So it would be much the same for them. I have no doubt. Your um, jailing was in retaliation for the arrest of a Chinese businessman. So this is not a new thing for China. This is what they do. You had very limited consular access. I think you had more consular access than the Michaels have had. I mean, Dominic Barton is now over in China, but there have been very limited um, uh, moments that Canada has had any access to these Mm -hmm. men. How um, important are those moments of of, of having a voice from the outside world and, and from your own country, frankly? I mean, how much does that help you kind of survive the unsurvivable? Those moments, those 30 minutes a month were huge to me. They... They brought hope. And, you know, I had one consular official who would come. She was probably on my case for about a year. And every time she left, she would say, I hope I don't see you again. And that, you know, it was really encouraging. Yeah. And I realized, yeah, I hope I don't see you again. I hope we're not in this situation and I'm back in Canada. So those little words that you can say, and we've talked to Dominic Barton, and we've talked to others. And there's, you know, your words have power uh, no matter mm-hmm. where you are. And he, he can impart hope or not to them. And I think that's what they need is hope. You know, for me, I just had to cling on to hope for those uh, 775 days. And there's nothing else I could cling on to. I mean, I had my Bible, and that was huge for me. I I had thousands of people praying for me, which I didn't know the full extent until I was released. But, you know, sending letters to them, some will get through, some will not. But anything to bring hope and encouragement to them is really important. Yeah, we had one of uh, Michael Kovrig's bandmates from the punk band he formed uh, about 20 years ago on the show. They're doing a global uh, effort to get the video made so that they can add pressure. Um, Because really, I think at this point, Kevin, time is running out for these men. Because whatever happens in the Meng Wanzhou um, situation, China is going to continually retaliate. And so am I wrong to suggest that Michael Spavor will be a a warning for the government? Uh, Whatever sentence it is, he's being used as the here's what happens and Michael Kovrig. Um, you know, I mean, these men ultimately, uh, it looks like they'll pay the price if, in fact, Canada doesn't just walk away from Meng Wanzhou. Yeah, I think it, like we were, all, both Michaels and Robert Schellenberg are political pawns. It's not what mm-hmm. they've done. They unfortunately will pay the price. I, I paid the price for two, with two years in prison, not even knowing that they had arrested a guy named Sue Bin in Canada. And right. Yep. US. You know, I had no idea. So these guys... If they can wait it out, if they can get moments of hope, your messages of hope to them, that will make all the difference. I, I'm sure this will end. It won't. It doesn't end when we hope it will. It, mine didn't end when I hoped it would, but it will end. I really don't think China will carry out its federal execution for Robert Schellenberg. I think this is a big warning to Canada. You know, we could, and yes, they could. I don't think they will. And I think now they're, they kind of have two olive branches out there. One is this is what we can do. We can execute Robert Schellenberg. And now Michael Spavor, they can come up and say, well, we might let him go. You know, and if they do that, they're saying, you choose which way you're going to go, Canada. And, you know, act yeah. accordingly. Well, killing a, a Canadian, um, you know, uh, on what could be, you know, trumped up charges w- would be a whole game changer uh, in oh. this world. But but it, but it doesn't take away, um, you know, Kevin, they, these men have been to- tortured. Uh, the Michaels have not had daylight. I mean, they're locked and confined in a room for 24 hours a day with light. I mean, what they've gone through is much like your story, where it's, 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 it's a long, prolonged torture. In your mind, what does Canada, given the current situation, given, you know, the escalation, um, you know, of aggression by China, what does Canada do? Are you of the mind that we should be boycotting 
the Beijing games. Are you of the mind that Magnitsky sanctions are, are what we need to do, getting tougher with China? Because overwhelmingly, when you look at the polling, Canadians have really changed in their thinking on China. Not the Chinese people, but the government, and that we need to change our relationship with this government and get serious. I believe we really have to change the, our relationship with China. I don't think China should be rewarded for their behavior. Mm-hmm. As far as specific sanctions go, I'm not sure. But I think we have to stand our ground. You know, this is right. That is wrong. You know, we, we have to be there. And Canada can't capitulate and say, okay, we'll just push this through. We'll, we'll make sure Meng, Meng Wanzhou gets out. No, we have a judicial system that works and works really well. Mm-hmm. China's mm-hmm. judicial and political system are meshed together. They, they're not separate. We have to realize that. And this is, again, this is a whole political case. And we can only pray for the, the two Michaels and Robert right now. What do you think the people of this country need to understand about this period of time and, and this real this moment um, involving these Canadians? I think we have to realize who we're dealing with. China isn't changing. This hostage diplomacy continues, and it's, it continues with many other people, not just the three that we know of right now. There's others involved as well and others who have been involved. And I think we realize this is the country we're dealing with. So tread carefully when we have agreements or we sell our companies or sell land or whatever. China. We have to tread carefully. Yeah. Well, you and your wife, Julia, are uh, about as brave as can be, and the story that um, of what you endured it really is an, an eye-opener. So I thank you very much for giving us some insight. Very few have that insight, and uh, I appreciate you sharing it with us. Yeah. You're very welcome. I'll just go on to say one thing, is that it's really, really hard, but those small mm-hmm. messages of hope gave me hope and helped me to, to hold on for those two years. Yeah. That and your faith, as uh, as you've talked about. Kevin, I will keep talking about it. We will keep talking about it until these men are home. And uh, I thank you very much. Amen. Thank you very much, Alex. That is Kevin Garrett. And uh, he he co-authored a book, Two Tears on the Window, which takes you through um, the torture that he and his wife suffered at the hands of China. And again, that was in a time when it wasn't even as bad as it is now. And what they went through is just... uh, Horrific, And so he speaks with knowledge and uh, would understand. So glad to have his voice on this issue. Thank you for listening. Of course, you can listen live Monday through Friday, starting 6.30 sharp. I'm Alex Pearson. This is On Point on Global News Radio.